1: Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with Chris Francis. Uh you like Tim will be joining us in a bit. And uh 82 games in the books, Chris. <laughs> that... Another season. <laughs> <laughs> well, not another season. I mean, it's the first time the Cavs have been in the se- in the postseason without one LeBron James on their team in I I want to say close to 20. Three years. I think 1999.
0: No, remember they had the
1: Fratello year. Oh, okay. With with Z's Z's rookie year, I believe. It was a a while. But, uh, yeah, uh, Cavs in the postseason, a a pretty solid season. I think we all have a lot to be proud of in terms of our preseason predictions. We all took the over, and uh, we would have all made money. <laughs> um i I believe uh e- e- evil genius was the closest in his pick at 52 um yep. and i think i picked i took 56 or not 56 53 and i had him coming in third um and they didn't finish too far off that so i don't feel like i have anything to be ashamed of and they could have picked up that Last win if they really wanted it, but it was more well, important to rest what's guys. funny about
2: it is that I, I was seeing, you know, certain Cavs people online trying to say that no one expected this. Like, no one expected them to be this good. And it's I, like, I, I went back and looked at our predictions. Literally every one of us picked them in the playoffs and in the top you know, in the top five, at
1: least. I, I think that is a very silly prediction because they were a seventh seed last year going into the postseason and they added a all NBA caliber player and all got a year better. Um <laughs> exactly. The young guys all got a year better and they brought back their catalyst, Ricky Rubio. So yep. I, I think, um I, you know the funny thing is is I think and uh Eli has just joined us but I think if you polled most of us at Cavs the blog um we we would be a little bit disappointed with the, how the season, regular season turned out. I think we all thought the Cavs could have been better than their record. Um yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree. Uh, I
1: mean I, I, to me the the you know we've all talked about the minutes distribution um and Lamar Stevens and uh Isaac Okoro and uh some of the problems there but uh the Cavs and after if if you told me at the beginning of the season that Kevin Love was going to ask out at mid and the Cavs would still be four seed I'd have said no somebody something probably went wrong if that happened and what uh, Kevin Love really didn't have a ton to do with the Cavs success
2: this year so well no, I mean he was good he was good in the beginning of the season I mean yeah, he was it, three, four, yeah. 3 out of 4 months I think that's that's what's so ridiculous about a lot of the Kevin Love takes is that it's prisoner of the moment shit It's like he was good for basically he was good for 3 out of the 4 months he just had a crappy January is basically what it was yep. down to and yep. it was a disastrous you know it was just a really bad month and then, you know, ironically, along with Love's uh, disappear, absence and disappearance, has um, completely tanked uh, the Cavs' ability to rebound the damn ball.
1: Especially when their starting lineup is, you know, when Tower City's not in the game. They exactly, right. have not been rebounding well. Um, and I feel like that's picked up of late, but I don't have... That's more it's of a not. Kind of feeling.
2: They're, they're. It's not. I <laughs> think yeah. they're at 67% uh, defensive rebound rate, which would be dead last or near dead last in the NBA. Yeah, which is pretty
1: bad because where is uh, New York in terms of offensive rebound rate?
2: Ooh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> um, and great and question. while you're looking that up, oh, where did Eli go? Hot uh, Googling action to right off the jump. Yeah. We had Eli joined and he said his audio wasn't working.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, it it was, but yeah, I mean, I'm more talking in generalities. Um, Eli, you there? Let me pause this for a minute. Yeah. So I I think we can all call the season a, a success for sure. I mean, the Cavs didn't wildly disappoint. I think, You know, you and I were frustrated at times with the rotations and kind of the Cavs' ability to find consistent offense. But the season was a success. Um, Evan Mobley grew, absolutely. Uh, Donovan Mitchell looked like the best offensive player and probably the second best offensive player in a Cavs uniform ever. I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's anybody you could say was ostensibly better, you know, maybe adjusted for the time, but he looked really good this year, shattered the team three
2: point record and was a very efficient three level scorer. Um, you yeah, know, I think that's a great point about Donovan, because I think that's the thing is that it's not disappointment about the season. It's raised expectations is what's happened. Yeah. Like, Donovan Mitchell is a difference maker who can take a team to the promised land. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the expectations have changed in the sense of urgency should have changed. And, and,
1: it, and I think our disappointment is we don't feel like the team and the organization and the coaching staff match that level of expectation that they should have. Was that a yeah. fair summation?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, It's I mean, with, you know, referring back to the underperforming, overperforming versus win expectancy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've been a top five underperforming team versus Pythagorean win expectancy all season long. It's been very consistent. and Yeah, what it or, says, or bottom
1: five, depending on yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. where exactly. you're ranking
2: us. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so the disappointment lies in is where, like, can we scrape that ceiling? Because, like, if we can scrape that ceiling you know, we're competing for a ring, you know what I mean? That's what's at stake here is like, we actually have a legitimate contending team that can compete for a ring and it's young. Like we could have a dynasty on our hands. And so, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's where I'm going with is I'm excited that there's this dynasty potential for the Cavs. I want everybody to match that, you know, and, and especially, you know, with, with Mitchell, I think that's his expectation for himself. You know, he's oh, never... I agree with you, and as, and as it should be. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't want yeah. it any other way. So, and by the way, I mean circling back to your point about the Knicks' second-best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. Yeah,
1: that is a matchup problem for the Cavs
2: for okay, sure. There you go. <laughs> that that's a
1: big big issue for Cleveland. Um, Eli, I mean, are we way off base here? Um, should the expectations be raised or would they be doing themselves long-term harm uh, to have kicked the to be kicking the Cavs' expectations out of the incubator at this point?
3: No, I think if there's anything we can learn in the NBA, you can never take any year or any season for granted. Um, so I think having high expectations and keeping high expectations is good. And I'm yeah. actually kind of glad the players and coaches seem – to all indicate that they know that this isn't this year isn't a, a punting year. This is a year where they can make some noise. So I'm glad that that's the mindset of the team. I'm not sure it's the right man at the helm uh, to get the yeah. most out of the players, which I'm sure we'll get into that further uh, as we go into the pod. But, you know, I, I think one thing I'm – I'm glad. Is like you know the play. It doesn't doesn't feel like the players are like just relieved to make the playoffs. I think there's genuine hope that they could advance. Uh, you know far into it. And look, the numbers that have historically been great, um, good indicator, or historically good indicators of elite teams. The Cavs have that. They're you know the top defense and top ten offense. And I think in the last what twenty odd years. Only one team with an outside top 10 defense has won um, the championship. So, you know, those are good stats that show that the Cavs, if anything, despite maybe some questionable choices, um, you know, they've had... I think 50 wins is also an indicator as well, a long-term indicator as well. Yeah, so I think there's just a lot of good signs about this team, and I'm glad that it doesn't feel like they're just satisfied with making the playoffs. I think there's genuine optimism and hope that they can advance far into it. So um, I'm all for having high expectations and getting crushed rather than setting low expectations <laughs> and then crushing that instead. So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of my men's mindset with sport teams.
1: Uh, but, but life in general, really, <laughs> I think we're all, we're all kind of built that way. Yeah. Um, And, and, I want to get to the Knicks preview in a minute here, but I do want to spend kind of at least the rest of the segment celebrating the regular season. Um, I guess before we head to the break, give me your biggest, the thing that you were right about that you were most proud of. And then the thing that surprised you the most about the Cavs uh, this season Uh, Eli, you you can go first there.
3: I think the thing I'm most proud of from the beginning of the season was um, that Mobley was going to continue to improve. I think at the very beginning, a lot of people were down on him because of uh, the lack of scoring, I would say. And I I think to a point, his defense wasn't as good to start the year, but I think he was thinking too much, put a lot of pressure on himself. And I I felt like I was always – a little bit more like, I think he's going to figure it out and I think he'll uh continue to grow. Like this is not the best. And I don't think anyone was saying he wasn't going to improve any further, but I've, I've been a Mobley stand since day one. Um, Nate, you and I were at the, at uh rock and mortar house to watch them select him, And I've always been big on him. I always liked him more than Jalen green. Um, so, and, you know, from day one, I've been a huge Mobley fan and I'm continue, will continue to be. Um And I guess the other thing, maybe just a minor thing, was I've been a huge Jetty Osmond believer. Um, I think he should be playing more candidly. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that in the playoffs, he will get opportunities over, you know, guys like Lamar Stevens and uh maybe even Okoro, so... Those are kind of a couple of things that I think I've been very positive on throughout the whole season from the get-go.
1: Yeah, anybody surprise you from how they did this year versus what you were expecting?
3: Yeah, I actually thought Garland really impressed me. His numbers were better than I thought they'd be. I thought his, his scoring and uh, playmaking and assists would be falling off a cliff with Mitchell getting more of the ball handling duties, but he basically had the same stats while, you know, keeping his usage reasonable. Um, And I think he really grew as a, as a, you know, playmaker and driver of the ball. So he pleasantly surprised me. I kind of thought that his numbers would go down and his impact would go down, but I feel like he um, genuinely surprised me positively
1: for the year. Awesome. What about you, Chris? Uh, who, Who was your surprise
2: contributor this year? That's a great question. Um, who was I surprised by? I guess you know. I my instinct is to actually say Isaiah Mobley, <laughs> but I mean that's like, uh, you know, I thought it was a throwaway pick. I thought it was you know do do Evan a solid, but I think the kid can actually play. You know him and Diakite both. I would I would pa- kind of package them both and say uh that was um, good scouting and good uh, development and just uh, there's raw talent there, you know, and, and they play the modern style big of, you know, uh, of setting screens, direct handoffs on the perimeter, being able to knock down the shot, being able to defend perimeter uh, guys um, and, and do the other big man stuff like rebound, block shots and stuff like that, rim protect. So, you know, I I would say those two in tandem, like there's guys in the pipeline um, uh, in Kevin Love's uh, absence that can possibly fill that backup four role. Um, I mean, the surprise to me was Kevin Love leaving the team in a negative way. I mean, like that was I think it was a shock to the system. It was a shock to the guys uh, and they still haven't coped with how to rebound. So. It still caused a void that um, they haven't been able to replace. But, um, you know, I, I would go with those two things kind of as the surprise. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just uh,
1: going to say, you know, uh, echoing a little bit what both of you said, uh, I think the thing that I was happiest about that I predicted at the beginning of the season was uh, a bounce back year for Chetty. I think Chetty played – we all think Chetty played better than the coaching staff thinks he played. Um, and the um, thing – and obviously Mobley. Uh, I mean the Cavs got the best player in that draft and I don't think anybody disputes it at this point in the NBA. No, people dispute it, but they just look stupid. But they're wrong. Yeah, well, yeah. they're probably Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing that impressed me – the most this season that surprised me was how much better Darius Garland's defense got. I thought Darius Garland really grew as a defensive player, uh, in terms of his off ball reads and his, uh, you know, ability to contest and, you know, play the pick and roll defensively. Um, you know, his steal rate was very high, 79th percentile in the NBA. Um, I was very impressed with his improvement as a player. Uh, his shooting uh, was right there with where it was. His assists, his turnovers—you um, know—he he was everything I wanted him to be, uh, and, and that was awesome. And yeah, that's all I got on those guys. And I think uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little hold bit. On, about, hold
2: on, hold uh, on, wait, 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 hold on. I've got to take my victory lap on Karis LeVert.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. Karis LeVert. Oh, my Lord. Let's go. Karis LeVert agenda. We'll we'll get to uh, Top Chef with Karis LeVert when we get back. But, um, uh, you know, when we come back, I want to talk about the last couple games and then uh, look forward to the next series here. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cap's Podcast. Nate Smith, Chris Francis, you like him. I was informed during the break that I did not give Chris enough time on the track to take his victory lap on <laughs> Karis Levert. So, um, you know, you've got the pace car out in front of you, Chris. What do you want to say about Karis Levert? And I'm gonna go get something to drink. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs>
2: Well, I'd just like to say that uh the agenda was completely vindicated. We were victorious, all of the Karis livert heads out there, which they are growing in number, I noticed. Um you know, he's he had a rough patch uh there in the in the middle of the season, but now he's turning it on at the right time. Uh he's been amazing over the past month and a half or so. And he was great in the beginning of the season, too. I mean, it's really just been the middle of the season where he struggled. Um, But, you know, the Karras Levert at the three works, Karras Levert in the backcourt works. He's the X factor in these playoffs that I think, you know, he makes the difference between, you know, this being a nice story and a real problem for the rest of the NBA. Like, he can take his game to that level. So... You know, uh, I was going to pull up the the Karras at the three lineup here, um, and it is Karras at the three lineup. Well, Karras at the two lineup was a plus fifteen on the season. Or no, I'm sorry. Pl- uh, this was Karras at the three. Karras at the three is plus fifteen on the season in two hundred and thirty minutes. Um, and Karras at the two. Karis at the two is, hold on, I'm missing it. Um, Karis at the two is plus 22 with Dean Wade at the three. Okay. So, um, and I, there, I, I, sorry. you, know, you know, No, I mean, he's just had, and also Karis at the two, Chetty Osman at the three, plus three, or I mean, I'm sorry, plus 12.3. So we've got three. Now, now that's average net rating. Over the okay. season, yep. Um, okay. And so we've got three elite lineups, with, and it provides defense. And you can tell why they're successful is because you've got ball handling with Donovan Mitchell and Karis Laver and even Car- and even uh, Chetty to a certain degree. You've got tall defenders on the perimeter. You know, you've got a strong uh, point of attack defender in Donovan Mitchell. So you you can you can switch a lot of matchups. You can play a lot of great defense. Here are the defensive ratings. 93.0 for Karras at the three. 98.3 for Karras at the two. Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Karras at the three. The uh, 93.0 is uh, Dean Wade at the three and Karras at the two. And then Chetty Osman, and Karras LeVert, Dean um, uh, or Donovan Mitchell backcourt is uh, 107.7, which would still rank for best in the NBA. So they can lock it down on defense because of Karis Lavert playing on the perimeter and giving that boost and having the be and not sacrificing on offense. So, you know, I think this is, g- it's going to be on JB, honestly, because honestly, he didn't use those lineups enough. 230 minutes for the Karis at the three lineup is not that many over the course of the season. There's probably lineups in the NBA that triple that number. Um, he only used uh, uh, the Donovan Caris Chetty lineup 53 minutes in 13 games. He only used uh, the uh, Dean Wade. Uh, that was the that was the eight 0 streak at the beginning of the season, if you recall, um, when they were you know destroying uh, the Celtics at on the road or whatever. Um, he's only used that 54 minutes, so you know, JB's got to, you know, get into his bag and make it happen. You know, he trusts Karras. Let's see it. You know, he needs to start trusting Dean Wade and Teddy Osman. really is is the final equation to those lineups. I,
1: yeah. And I'll uh, kind of take a little bit on your victory left there. One of the things that I feel vindicated on, um, you know, Levert definitely struggled from mid-range this year. I feel like it's He's kind of figured that out a lot more in the last month. But the three-point shooting at 39% is really a key to unlocking the Cavs. And his confidence in his three ball is really picked up. And I feel like for the Cavs to be good, Terrace has to be an unrepentant three-point catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Like, if he's open, he's got to let it fly. And I think – Sometimes he doesn't do that, and, and I want to see him do that because the Cavs have to make teams pay when they leave the corners and the wings uh, to chase those guys inside and to chase the Cav guards. So, uh, and with that being said, I wanted to, you know, touch a little bit on the last couple games of the season, which were. You know, the Charlotte game and then the second Magic game, I think we were all pretty happy with that last – with the Magic game where the Cavs clinched. Um, Just another yeoman effort for uh, Donovan Mitchell. But uh, is there anything you saw in the last two games in terms of glimpses of guys in the rotation that might be able to change the equation for the Cavs? Uh, Eli? Well, I think Jetty
3: Osmond – um, show that he can be an X factor if he's on fire it's unstoppable. And I also think Danny Green kind of stepping up and showing his his leadership but also making a lot of threes. I think that brings a little confidence that if for some reason the Cavs get off to a really slow start, I think I think JB's going to go to Danny Green and I think those two games are going to be stuck in his head and recency bias I'm just hoping though that he's going in for Lamar Stevens and not in place of jetty Osmond though that is my one concern of the last two games is that maybe he falls too much in love with Danny green over Osman or cora so um but I do also agree I think the magic game where they wanted to clinch I think there was like a huge you know stress or anxiousness to just get that done and you know it, Probably was a little closer than they wanted it to be, but Mitchell showed that he could, you know, turn it up and score forty plus points and get that done. So overall, I think I think I was very happy to see that, and then see the Cavs backups basically win another an extra game to get over to get get to fifty one, which I think is, you know, shows that the bench can, there is hope on the bench despite kind of the lackluster performances leading
1: up to those games. The guy for me that was the biggest revelation that, like, why hasn't this guy been playing more is Dean Wade. Uh, Last two games, you know, nine points, three or four from three. Um, When he does not have to do too much, um, he's really effective uh, against the uh, magic, against a a magic team that's pretty big. Six rebounds, uh, two assists, a steal, 11 um plus eleven on the game. I mean he looked like the player we hoped we were gonna see at the beginning of the year. And I wanna I, I think he should be starting. Uh or I I or the Cavs should be starting Lavert at the three and Dean Wade should be the backup four um and two of Wade and uh Mobley and or Allen should be on the court at all times. You know, I think that's one of the things they're going to have to do to rebound with the Knicks. And I want to see the Cavs play some bigger lineups and focus on the defensive line, uh, defensive rebounding, um, and, you know, shifting down, maybe staggering Garland and Mitchell a little more, maybe playing Karras at the two, Chetty at the two, you know, um, Danny Green at the two. (laughs) <laughs> you know, go a little bigger um, and everybody's got to hit the boards because that's going to be critical to beating the Knicks. Uh, Chris, anything you saw in the last two games uh, that that might inform how the Cavs play in the in the first round?
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest revelation to me was Diakite and Mobley to like I mentioned before um Dean Wade was yeah Dean Wade definitely looks back I would say and I w- I would agree with you like I think the reason the reason why uh it's the same reason why JB started Lamar Stevens it's that you can eliminate a lot of the responsibility a lot of the stress on a player that's the weak link essentially uh, uh, the, among those top 4 guys um and I think Dean Wade kind of thrives actually when all he has to do is defend, rebound, and shoot an open shot. Like, when his game is strictly limited to that, you know, he he's effective. And the numbers prove it. It's proven it over and over again. He was great in the beginning of the season. I think the injury to his shoulder, uh, the shoulder separation, really screwed him. <laughs> and it kind of screwed the Cavs because that's who they were banking on when they uh, bought out uh, Kevin Love. Um, but you know, I agree with Eli. Danny Green looked great. He looked totally different. Like now, he can run. He couldn't run in that Philadelphia game. If you got, if you recall how he looked in that Philadelphia game, he looked totally beat. Like he was not able to even run a full sprint. Now he's springing. He can jump. He's finishing inside the paint. You know, he looks great. I think that's that. That's a takeaway from. That's the takeaway from uh, the last two games: is that JB has some guys that he can go to because that's what the playoffs come down to. The playoffs come down to it. It's always weird, like you know, it's always that ninth, tenth guy that gets inserted because of a matchup that changes the course of a series. You know what I mean? And that guy could be Dean Wade. That guy could be Danny Green. That guy could be Diakite. I think JB has options. This is a deep team and he's just got to trust guys and, you know, let it fly. And, uh, you know, there shouldn't be any pressure on these guys because, you know, uh, there's already a lot of noise about, you know, oh, the Knicks, you know, the Knicks this, the Knicks that, you know, they're they're going to be a tough out and they are going to be a tough out. But um, Donovan Mitchell's the best player in the series. And Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, they're studs, you know, so, uh, you know, I think JB can play freely, but at the same time, or JB can coach freely, but at the same time, uh, he's got, you know, uh, a lot of barrels in the shotgun, you know, to go at, go at the Knicks. So,
1: yeah, one of the things I'm looking up right now is the, the roster limits for the playoffs and I'm trying to find that and they may uh, don't think two way guys don't I thought two way players can't play in the playoffs. Yeah. Right. Right. And one of the things that I think the Cavs should do before the playoffs, um I don't know how many players you can carry into the playoffs. Um if it's fifteen and then you have to make guys available or not available for each series. But one of the things, the, to me, the Cavs absolutely should do is make give Diakite that 15th spot that they've kind of given to Sam Merrill on 10 days and then move Sam Merrill to their two-way spot because I think the Cavs are going to need size in the playoffs. And I think we've all seen R- Rolo is forked. Like, Rolo isn't going to give them much at if anything at all in the playoffs. Um and you can't have too much size. Uh especially when you see guys like uh Mobley and Allen uh have gotten hurt during the regular season and also, you know, foul trouble. I think you have to do that especially just because of the amount of size that the Knicks can throw at you at every position. So that is the way I would manage it. I don't know how many players you can carry into a series. So, I'm I'm going to try and figure that out during the break.
2: Um I want to re- say it's I want to say you can only carry 13 and then only 12 can play. Right, but do you is that for the whole playoffs or do you it ch- I think you can re- I think you can
1: reshuffle, reshuffle them each series. Every series. Yeah. 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 I th- I think that's the case as well and if you so I'll before we go into the break, which two guys would you uh say, hey, you're not playing this series in this next series? Rolo. Rolo, okay. Uh and anybody else?
3: <clears throat> I'd pick Lamar Stevens, but probably Sam Merrill then.
1: Well, I don't think Merrill's gonna be on the playoff roster. Gotcha. Um but yeah, I mean that's a fair given their current roster. It's a fair assessment,
2: uh, Chris. Yeah, I mean I would agree. It would, it would definitely be Rolo um, if Sam Merrill counts on the roster. Is definitely him. Well, um, I think
1: the other one's going to be uh, uh, Dylan Windler. If we all forget Dylan Windler's still on oh this my roster, God, so I don't think we're going to see a sniff oh, of Dylan Windler.
2: So I mean. It's so weird that the Cavs kind of just burned two roster spots. <laughs> well, what's the other one? Oh, uh, the, well, they had the open, didn't they? Have oh, the just open? the open spot. Yeah, yeah, they had the open spot plus, you know, and then Windler. So well, and and I
1: think it's really nuts given the way the trade deadline shook out. We all talked about that. It's you know what was the point of keeping Dylan Windler's contract on the roster? Yeah. I don't know.
2: I, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, uh, Sharif Cooper went to bad for him, so I guess that's Well, there it. you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and the Charger out of the G League playoff now, right? They got yeah. bounced, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they lost. Yeah. Although, you know, I thought the Charge sounded like they had a decent regular season. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be right back, and uh, I think we're going to preview this next series, so. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. Nate Smith, Chris Francis, Eli Kim. Um, And Chris, uh, you know, I think the one thing that you wanted to touch on that we didn't cover in the first few segments (laughs) has to do with who should be playing in this net series. And, and, you know, (laughs) get to it, buddy.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a true Cavs the Podcast without whining about the end of the bench or whatever. Well, it wasn't
1: really – yeah, that's the – if it was the end of the bench, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well, here's the thing is that Lamar Stevens has played the eighth most amount of minutes out of the entire Cavs roster at 1,120 minutes on this season. Um, Mamadi Diakite played 175. So to me, I think that – and and if you go back and look at the net ratings, D acquits himself very well in those 175 minutes. So my and he acquitted himself very well against the Philadelphia 76 Sixers in the beginning of the year. Same with Dean Wade, I might add, who played also less minutes than Lamar Stevens. So we we were on year two that I can remember, of Lamar Stevens being an essential cog in this on this roster and rotation at the expense of other guys, like the the benefit, the difference between Lamar Stevens and Mamadi Diakite is not 10 times the minute's difference between their play. It's just not. And even... Well, let's talk
1: about Chetty Osman is, I think, a much more... I mean, Diakite is a two-way guy. Chetty Osman is a much more concrete example to me.
2: Well, Chetty, Chetty played – yeah, well, I mean, Chetty played about 1,500 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, he could definitely – he could have definitely got starter-level minutes at, like, 2,000. I don't disagree with that at all. Hell, I mean, even you want to say even Isaac Okoro could have bit some of those minutes. You could have, you know, and reduced and reduced Stevens further. But, I mean, but now he has the knee issue. So, I just think that, you know, with the two-way rules, with the way they are – Um, the, we had, you were allowed to play them, I think like 50 games, right? Like the two way guys can play up to 50 games this season. So, you know, we had these guys that acquitted themselves well against big time competition, didn't sniff the court. I would say Isaiah Mobley counts among those. I think Isaiah Mobley definitely deserved. He earned, I think by his play, uh, I think he earned minutes with the big club. That he didn't get, he just simply didn't get. And I think it was, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, who cares or whatever. I mean, I'm just saying that the difference between Lamar Stevens, Mamadi Diakite, and Isaiah Mobley is not 10 times the minutes difference. There's just not that big a difference between all of their production to to give Lamar Stevens that kind of run.
1: Oh, I'm with you. And there's some stats that are just brutal for Lamar Stevens. One is, you know, 19th percentile in the NBA in true shooting uh, at 53%. Just not a good offensive player at anything. Um, You know, I think there's two things that he kind of does well. uh, And that's – Defensive rebound rate, but it's not like, like nothing he does is stellar. And the things that he's good at aren't good enough to overcome how abysmally is it offense.
0: Uh, And he's terrible.
2: He's a ball stopper is the biggest thing. Like, yeah, he does not move the ball at all. Cannot pass, cannot make passes at all. At least if you watch Isaiah Mobley play. One of the, one of the nicest things to watch about him is his ball movement, is his connected passing. He, if he doesn't have a shot that's presented to him, if he's not in his spot and getting his shot, he's moving the ball, and he's yeah. moving the ball to a guy who can do something with it. you know he's got that un, just uncanny unselfishness to his game. Diakite, and, and, you know he at least lets it fly from three. You yep. know what I mean? He, he's
1: 30, on... 33% from three for a center is pretty darn good. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, and then you look at Okoro. Yeah. You look at Okoro, 62% true shooting, um, 36% from three. Um, he's an abysmal rebounder. I'll give him that. But everything else he actually does pretty well. The problem is, and also he doesn't take any shots he, know he can't make. Uh, you know, Lamar Stevens wanders into paint into the paint and takes these shots that, you know, would have worked in college and just seem like uh, they don't have any place in the NBA for a role player. It's he's taking shots he should never take. He is an absolute dead zone. Like he, we talked about he has negative gravity on offense, like teams sit in the key when he has the ball in the corner. Like he's yeah, they play on just, four on five yeah. and he's oh, so ponderous. Know. Yep. He's just he's the worst. He has an estimated p- plus minus of negative two point five, by far the worst of any
2: rotation player on the Cavs. Um, you know, well and, and but, let's be clear, this is on J B. <sighs> JB's making this oh, yeah. nice decision. Like yeah. it's, it's not actually Lamar's fault. Lamar, you know, pro- any any minutes Lamar wants, you know, he wants to play or whatever. This is J B needing a leash. On some guys, yeah. and put a leash on some guys, and give other guys a chance, you know. So, that, yeah. you know, that's you know, if there's that, that's my grinds my gears segment for uh, Cap the podcast there.
1: Yeah. So that brings me into the the prompt. Well, can I say one more I, thing. Oh no you you can say many <laughs> more things. <laughs>
3: I think the thing that really grinds my gears to with Chris is that Lamar Stevens has started 25 games for the Cleveland Cavaliers and they never started Osman. They started Dikkaté like twice and they like didn't give Dean Wade the same amount of starts. And I know Dean Wade was hurt, so that's a little skewed on that front, but I just don't get it. Like how can you give Lamar Stevens 25 starts this year? It just it like just we my mind.
2: <laughs> when you put it that way, Eli, is, I just gotta shake my head. <laughs> I mean, we've seen enough.
1: <laughs> in, in the words of, uh, it, to quote, um, "A League of Their Own," I've seen enough to know I've seen too much. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you've seen it. It it's not gonna work. Like. He's got a – his shot is not an NBA shot. Um, He is not P.J. Tucker. (laughs) I mean, maybe he'll come back and completely reinvent his game, but we've seen what he is. He is a 12th man that for some reason JB thinks he can turn into – A rotation
2: player. Yeah, he's he's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yeah, he's been a rotation player two years running
1: now. Yeah. And and not a good one. Anyway, um, so that brings me to my next question that I asked you to before we started this podcast. How many wins against the New York Knicks does J.B. Bickerstaff have to produce in order to keep his job? And and I'm going to start with uh, you, Eli, since since Chris and I were sucking up all the hot air.
3: Man, okay, I think I think if J.B.
1: wins at least. Five games, he will keep his job. Really? That yeah. means they're beating the Knicks. Yeah. You think they have, to, the think they have I mean, to beat the Knicks for him to keep his job? Uh, I don't. Know. I guess that's for me.
3: I think he has to win at least two games to run it back next year, I guess, realistically.
1: I, I, I agree with you. I think he has to get to at least a game six. Yeah, um, I mean,
3: it's unfortunate um, that that's... If we're going to lose to the Knicks, I hope we get swept. But if we, but if, um, because that would set us the Cavs up well f- better for the long term, I think. But I, I'm still a believer that the talent alone will, will uh, be good enough. So that's you know, spoiler alert, my take on the situation against the Knicks. But um, I think if he doesn't win at least two playoff games there might be some noise about making a change. And I think historically the Cavs coaching seat has never been a very stable one, even with Kobe Altman. I mean, who can forget, you know, we had, what was that guy? We had Lou, we had Uh, Larry, um, Larry drew, Larry drew who like refused to be like, I'm not the head coach. I'm the interim and you need to talk to them until I'm the head coach to get more money. Then you had B-Line. You had all these fiascos. b Beeline. Kobe, <laughs> even with Kobe Altman. So, you know, I, I secretly think that if he, if JB can't get the Cavs, I mean, everyone's healthy, of course, to at least two wins of game six. There is a chance that they do a shock, uh, firing and maybe they would just elevate Greg Buckner, um, to that position. But I think that's not, that wouldn't, Surprise me, given the history of the how volatile that uh, coaching position is
1: for the Cavs. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think it's they have to at least win two games in this playoffs. Uh, If they look like they're just completely outclassed by the Knicks uh, from a coaching standpoint, I think you see them make a change. I don't know, Chris. What's your answer?
2: You guys are crazy. He doesn't have to win a single game to keep his job this year. You think if he gets swept, he's back next year. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've I've maintained that because of that because of that extension, that four year extension. Uh, he's back no matter what. He'd have to flame out. He'd have to flame out two playoffs before they. I think they will make a change. Wow. I. I. You
1: could be right. I, and you know, it really speaks to kind of the asinine decisions he's gotten away with this year. Um to me they have too much faith in him. But I and I feel like everybody on the Cavs is held accountable except for him. And that kind of drives
2: me nuts. But no, say love me. Well no, I mean that I that's we're here now, you know, like I think I mean he's had a lot of success this year, you know what I mean, in spite of the underachieving versus, you know, statistical, you know, from a statistical sense. You know, he's had a lot of success this year and now we're going to find out what kind of coach he is. You know, the the record for him in the playoffs was a gentleman's sweep with James Harden, who um, you know, everybody wants to bash Harden, but hey, Harden took the Harden took Steph and KD and that Warriors team to seven games you know with with and then they miss 20 shots in a row yeah yeah well I mean at least he took them to seven you know what I mean so no I'm saying like it was unbelievably unlucky the way and also Chris Paul
1: hurt yet again
2: yep exactly so you know he doesn't and I've you know I've talked about it at times this year people get pissed off at me and whatever but he's a sub five hundred career coach with over four hundred. He's he's coached more games than Nick Nurse and uh, I forget the other guy, uh, the, the uh, another established coach or whatever. Um, but you know, so he's coached a lot of he's coached a lot of games in the NBA and hasn't really done anything. But now he has a roster, he has the full faith and credit of the you know front office with him. So now we're actually going to find out what kind of coach he is. So, you know, um, I don't know what to expect, honestly. Uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that, you know, uh, kind of going back to what Eli was alluding to, I mean, he's got a stacked roster. It's going, he's going to have to screw up royally in order to, I think, lose it in the first round. So maybe you guys are right. I mean, if, if it's a sweep, you know, and it looks that bad. You know, maybe you're I'm, I'm all of a sudden talking myself into what you guys are saying, but I just think there's no chance. Like the way they've been talking, the way they talk about him, you know, he'd have to screw up 2 he'd have to screw up two series, two playoff years before they even considered canning him. I think if he flops this year and flops next year, uh, then, you know, then, uh, you know, then he's gone or then they'll talk about him being gone well and with that
1: we'll be right back. Let's go Cavs the podcast. We're talking Knicks versus Cavs starting lineup. Number 1 point guard Jalen Brunson, Darius Garland. Ed who, who, which team's got the advantage?
2: I'm going to give the, Yeah, I'm going to give the advantage to Brunson. He beat he beat Mitchell's Jazz last year without Luka. So I gotta give him the edge. That's pretty good, Uh, Eli. I hate to say it, but
3: I think I also have to give it to the Knicks. Um, I think uh, Brunson has definitely already proven it in the playoffs, and that's kind of the tiebreaker for me for both those guys. So I mean, we just saw him kind of go off on his career high on the Cavs (laughs) uh, like last game, last time they played. So Uh, that that was brutal.
1: Okay. So I'm with you there. Um, of course, if I was smart enough, I'd have the stats. But um, Brunson, you know, better scorer, on par as a passer, kind of a guy when you need a bucket can go get you a bucket. A very strong player, much stronger than Darius Garland. Darius Garland, more of a secondary scorer, an orchestrator. Um But also a guy who probably doesn't shoot enough threes, and the Cavs need him cranking away from three. Um, Next up, we've got Quentin Grimes and Donovan Mitchell. I'm going to take this one to start. You know, to me, on paper, Mitchell's the best player in the series. But, man, Brunson's been coming on strong. And in the head-to-head matchup, he's 3-1 and versus the Cavs this year. Um, But I'm still going to take... Mitchell over Grimes for sure, and I I think Mitchell knows this is his opportunity. This is his coming-out party to do this against the Knicks, and I think he relishes that. So, And I also think the Knicks are going to gear their entire defense to stopping him. Eli?
3: I also give this one to Mitchell kind of easily, but I think the thing that makes the Knicks so... Uh... Unique as their bench, which we'll obviously get into, but I definitely give us the Mitchell. I think why one take is I just hope Mitchell doesn't feel like he has to do it all by himself because he could definitely shoot teams out of games at times. Um, but I think he plays very level-headed and he turns it up. And I think in the playoffs he'll drive to the basket if he knows his shot's not going in. So I give the edge to Donovan Mitchell pretty clearly on this one.
1: Yeah, and. And I say that Quentin Grimes, no slouch, really nice season, 11 points, two assists, you know, two and a half rebounds, really solid shooting from the field uh, and for, and from uh, three. Uh, and he's 22. Like, he's going to get better and better. He's 6'5". He is, you know, he's got a nice future ahead of him. Uh, in in six years, you know, Quentin Grimes probably wins this matchup. So um he's and he's been coming on strong for them. So, you know, good for Quentin Grimes. Uh next up Chris, did I let you go in there? Sorry.
2: Yeah Well the irony about Quentin Grimes is the Knicks weren't weren't willing to give him up in the Mitchell trade. <laughs> there you go. So that was all time blunder. Uh, oh I don't my God! Think... How good would they be right now? Oh yeah, exactly. They'd be—I would say—they'd be a contender. Uh, yeah, but uh, but they're not, and uh, you know, because they wanted Quentin Grimes, and so now we get to watch, uh, Donovan Mitchell feast on him. So that was yeah. fun. Um,
1: next up, I'm gonna assume it's R.J. Barrett versus Isaac Okoro. Is that is O'Quarre going to be back to the playoffs? I guess that's the first question. Eli, I think he is. What have you heard?
3: I think yeah. he's going to be back. He looked like he was shooting um, jumpers pretty easily um, before the last regular season game, and the when the media could see. So it looks like he can probably come back and play. But um, I think if not, it might be Dean Wade, which I wouldn't be opposed to that, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean to me I like Wade a lot, but I think they need him more at the big at the four spot. Uh especially coming off the bench. But uh yeah, I'm not opposed to that either. Um next so what about you, Chris? What do you think? A who should start and B, you know, R J Barrett has to have the advantage here, right? Yeah. Ooh.
2: <laughs> he does not. <laughs> okay. In fact, I'd say I'd take Wade over RJ Barrett easily is what okay. I would say. I'm st- I'm playing my flag. Uh, I would start Dean Wade. Um, I think that's the obvious choice because of his defense and his ability to shoot a less ugly jumper than Lamar Stevens. And also to sta- to keep the staggered lineups with Karis Levert um, uh, to ensure that Karis Levert's maximized. But the thing with R.J. Barrett is that he is single-handedly tanking <laughs> the Knicks lineups over the past two years. Yeah, he's was, a chucker. There was a thread that was done uh, – there was a thread that was done <laughs> – that was going around the internet today. Um, and, uh, let me see if I can, I should have had it ready to go, but, um, it went viral, uh, (laughs) but it was basically a compendium of all of his stats, uh, and how basically he's one of the worst high minute usage players in the NBA. Like he doesn't get steals. He doesn't get, he doesn't get blocks. He's very inefficient shooting. Uh, he's not a great passer. He's a shittier Mello. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, mellow puts him to shame. They're, like that's disrespectful. You can put him in the same. Like, oh no, I'm I'm with you. Like yeah,
1: Mello he, was at least elite at shooting and scoring. He, exactly. He thinks he's elite, and that's the problem.
2: Yeah, it pains me to say this too. You know, I would not say this. I don't take this lightly, and I wouldn't say this lightly because I am a Duke fan. So I'm not, this is, this brings me no pleasure to rag on. (laughs) Which you never fail
1: to remind us.
2: Yes, that's right. That's right. And okay, so I found the thread. It says the too long didn't read version is RJ is the only thing holding the Knicks back from contention. (laughs) I believe it. And yet again, the irony, another guy. They were, I mean, yes, exactly. Yeah. It was basically give us Grimes or give us Barrett. And they wouldn't game. give him either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's the stats: uh, seven Knicks have played fifteen hundred plus minutes. Among them, RJ Barrett ranks last in effective field goal percentage, true shooting, steal percentage, win shares per forty eight BPM, VORP, plus minus, on off, average or worse in block percentage, turnover percentage, total rebound percentage, assist percentage, above average, and nothing. <laughs> what if we? And that? the
1: greatest thing about that is he's eligible for. Is, did he sign an extension? Yes,
2: he did. Oh yeah. 4 wow. years, 100 million dollars. That's awful. Yep. Uh here we, RJ versus the league. There are 104 players with more than 2000 minutes. RJ Barrett ranks last in steal percentage, bottom 10% in effective field goal percentage, BPM, VORP on off. Bottom thirty percent in true shooting percentage, assist rate, block rate, win shares per forty-eight. Bottom sixty percent in total rebound, to, uh, turnover percentage at plus-minus. Top forty in nothing. This is top forty percent, not even top forty.
1: So you're you're telling me R.J.
2: Barrett is, you know, the Cavs' secret weapon this series. He is. He absolutely is. The every minute that R.J. Barrett is on the court, the Cavs need to make hay. The Cavs need to make him every single minute he's on the court. And he should be on the court at least 30 minutes a game if the regular season holds. Now, here's the thing about Tibbs. Tibbs likes his guys and he sticks with him. And, you know, he's old school like that. He's, you know, he's the original JB, I'd say. So Derek Rose won an MVP. There you go. So, uh, you know, he's their Lamar Stevens. You know, T- R.J. Barrett is Tibbs Lamar Stevens. Did I, did I say that right? Mm, I don't know if that's
1: right. I mean, to me, Lamar Stevens is a scrub that inexplicably gets minutes. R.J. Barrett, obviously a very high draft pick, you know, different circumstances surrounding the team. But, yeah, it's definitely weird. And as long as the Cavs sit on his left hand, I'm happy he's in the game because he's yeah. the most left-hand dominant player in the game. Yeah, so advantage Wade if he's there. Yeah, and advantage Okoro because, you know, one thing Okoro doesn't do is take stupid shots. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all at times wish Okoro would shoot more than he does. So, okay, next up, big, big matchup. Probably other than, you know, Brunson and Mitchell, we've got Mobley and Randall, and that that matchup's a bear. Uh, for the Cavs and and Randall's a guy I I want to see what Mobley's stats are in game uh, versus Randall, but I just feel like Randall is just such a tough matchup given how strong he is. You uh, like Randall versus Mobley? What what do you think? Man, I
3: I'm going to give it to Mobley. Um, I think Randall's not going to be a hundred percent, but. In a in a weird way, I actually really want Randall to play because I think he's going to come back and want to just jack up a bunch of threes. Um, I remember the game where the Knicks won against the Cavs and Randall was like what six for eight from three point range at one point. Um, I feel like mind games. He's going to come back and think he can replicate that on that bum ankle. So I want him to come back um, because I want to see is he
1: supposed to play.
3: Yeah. Oh, he allegedly practiced this today. Um. So he's wow. It sounds like he's going to come back and try Cause to because that
1: ankle play. sprain was brutal, right?
3: It looked really bad. Yeah. So my resident Knicks fan at work told me he practiced today. So it'll be really interesting to see if he's going to be 100% go.
1: And who starts if he isn't ready? To, if he doesn't, Obi Toppin. Ha <laughs> top. And man, everything just comes full circle for I mean, I'm loving this Knicks matchup. I feel like this is gonna be a matchup for a while. Like these two teams on the come up, um, you know, both have an older star that's kind of just coming into his prime with Brunson and Mitchell, and um yeah, it, it's gonna be interesting. Okay, and then the last starter. Uh, did I get to you Chris with Randall versus Mobley sorry
2: no it's okay Uh, I'm taking Mobley as well I I agree with Eli completely I think the ankle is going to be a problem I think that he has the if if Mitchell has the ability to shoot teams out of a out of a win uh, Julius Randall has that in spades so uh, I think that And he's not as good of a passer, I'd say. You know, I think he's a bit of a chucker. So, you know, I I, one thing Mobley is not is a chucker. He plays team basketball. So I think I'm going to give the edge to Mobley. Nice. Um, And then finally, Mitch Robb
1: versus Jared Allen. Um, Similar games, uh, but Jared Allen, much better free-throw shooter. you know, that's one of Mitch Robb's strengths. But Jared Allen seems to struggle against him, uh, especially on the defensive boards. Uh I'm gonna give this one to Allen. I think he'll bring his A game. Um, I think the Cavs are kind of rounding into form at the right time. But Mitchell Robinson scares me a lot. Um, just given the history of what he's done against the Cavs and how he can dominate the offensive boards, which is a big, the guy averages four and a half offensive rebounds a game. And like we talked about earlier, Cavs or Nick's what? Number two in offensive rebounding. You said Chris,
2: yep. Second best offensive rebound rate. Yeah. I mean,
1: keeping, I really feel like the Cavs got to have all five guys rebound. Like, you can't have this stuff where guys are leaking out. The bigs are going to have to box out and the Cavs guards and wings are going to have to crash the d boards. And the Cavs haven't been great at that this year uh, because they try to use their defense and to make offense. And they've just given the pace and the way the next play, the, the Cavs can't do that. They have to crash the d boards. So, I don't know. What about what about you, Eli? What do you think Mitch Robb versus Allen? I'm going to give it to
3: Allen, but I also I think I'm giving it to him because I feel like Mitch Rob is the one player who's been vocal about not getting enough uh, a me time. He, he feels like he doesn't get the ball enough and there's like all these quotes out there saying like, all I do is run around. That's all I do in the game. I just run around and rebound. That's all I do. So I think he's a little disgruntled, and I'm kind of hoping he is because you're right. I feel like every time he played against the Cavs, he was getting tons of rebounds over Allen or uh, Mobley. So um, that being said, I I do think this matchup is a lot closer.
1: Closer than you'd like? Sorry, you went on
3: mute there. Yeah, closer than I'd like, sorry. Um, but I think the – I still give it to Allen and – hope that Allen can kind of rebound. I, I actually like how Allen and Mobley played a little bit in that last game just to kind of get in a rhythm because they've missed a lot of games recently together. So it was good to see both of them play in the first half and do pretty well. Uh, so.
1: I, I think offensively the Cavs have a big advantage over Mitchell Robinson because I, I feel like he's a guy you can bait. You know, he'll get he'll jump out of the gym on a pump fake, um, the big to big passing is gonna be really important with uh Mowgli and Allen because, you know, those guys get out of position, especially chasing uh boards and that kind of thing. And I I think there's
2: you know, buckets to be had there. Uh, Eli or I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, I am gonna actually say it's a it's I'm gonna say it's a draw. This is this, okay, is, the, that's this fair. is the hardest matchup. This this is the most even matchup of the starting lineup, I think. But I think you're right. I think Mitch Rob provides something on offense. On the, it's it's that he's offensively skewed because of his offensive rebounding, his elite offensive rebounding. I think Jared Allen is better on defense, but doesn't provide that extra punch on offense that Mitch Rob can. So I yeah, think- but he scores twice as many points. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the usage is probably, I've got the stats. Yeah. up. Yeah. The usage is not even close to the same. So, Interesting. um, yeah, he's only at 12% usage. So he literally pretty much never touched. Oh, I'm sorry. 10% usage. So, you know, uh, Jared Allen nearly has double the usage. So, um, I, you know, he's, Mitch Rob, basically they run no plays for him and they never let him touch the ball. <laughs> Unless well, he rebounds it, yeah, and, it, and, and it's and, effective. You know, cause that's because that's what he can do. And advantage Cavs there
1: in that they play as a team, and you know everybody eats. So
2: yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for the, you know, what Eli was alluding to with the uh, disgruntled, you know, disgruntled. Eli
1: vibes King Elijah yeah. vibes there King him. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh when we come back, uh we're gonna talk about uh the bench and then the coaching and you know what the Cavs have to do to win this series. Um so we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Elijah Kim and Chris Francis. And uh we just went through the starters. The next bench is a problem. Um I feel like the Knicks really got unlocked when they got Josh Hart. And I'm going to give props to my boy, Eli, who said the Cavs need Josh Hart. And boy, he would have really helped the Cavs. Like, he was everything they were missing in terms of rebounding um, and ability to play the two, the three, or the four. Uh, And he's been all that for the Knicks. Um, It's been especially reuniting with his Villanova buddy, Jalen Brunson, it's, he's kind of taking them to another level, I feel like. And their bench, you know, they've got Quickly, they've got Hart, they've got Uh They're tough. Um, what, what can the Cavs bench do, Chris, and, and cue the music, cue the, uh, cue the theme to
2: Top Chef? What's got to happen for the Cavs to win the bench battle? I mean, it comes down to Quickly versus Karras, Uh, does it not? I mean, basically, that's the matchup right there. Uh, uh, I think that um, it's a very even matchup. Quickly is, you know, sixth man of the year running. He's had an excellent year. I think the advantage goes to Karras in terms of experience. He's been in the playoffs. He's played two playoff series uh Quickly's only 23 years old. Uh, I don't know, maybe that makes him unconscious on a certain degree, but you know, I think there's the matchup right there. Uh I you know, and I think that OB Toppin and OB Toppin is probably the other guy that you're looking at off their bench. Um he's probably going to be the big off the bench. He can uh, you know, he can rebound a little bit. He can You know he doesn't really pass the ball. Kid doesn't really shoot the ball very well, Um, but he is a dynamic role man and finisher. There you go. Yeah, he's got athleticism, and he and he can play defense. I think he's. I think that's where he can do his damage is on defense. So, um, but but I think you know they kind of lack options off the bench. I mean, Evan Fournier has been on ice uh Jericho Sims not good, Derrick Rose, uh, I don't even know if he's even on the roster anymore. Um they're kind of limited as far as guys they can go to on the off the bench and you know and their bench gets even thinner if Julius Randle doesn't play. So I, you know, uh Josh Hart obviously the difference maker. Uh I'm sorry, I forgot Josh Hart. I mean, he hasn't been starting though, has he? Eli Uh, He hasn't been starting for them. He's been coming off the bench still.
3: He's been coming off the bench for
1: them.
2: Yeah, he's a super sub. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, the bench gets thinner if uh, Julius Randle doesn't come off. So, you know, I'd have to give the edge to – I'd probably have to give the edge to – I'd have to give the edge to the Knicks um, because of Josh Hart Uh, and uh, basically because of Josh Hart. The Cavs don't have anybody uh that can come off the bench and just impact defensively and uh impact defensively and move the ball like josh hart can. Well I, I feel like they
1: do, but they're not the same in the same player. Uh I, I think Dean Wade can be that defensive impact. The Cavs use him smartly. Um and like I said, he should be exclusively playing at the four with uh Mobley or Allen. Uh and no you know, llama time. Uh, the other guy that scares me a little bit is Hartenstein. Uh, Hardy is a guy that delivers five hard fouls a game. <laughs> um, he's very physical. Uh, clearly relishes playing the Cavs. Um, a guy that seems to get on the O boards a lot for them. Again, you know, he's number two in O boards after Mitch for them. That that that's a problem, uh, but I do think, like you said, uh, they don't have a lot of shooting off the bench, other than quickly.
2: and' well, they're not even a good. That's the irony about the Knicks is that they're basically an isolation heavy, don't move the ball and don't shoot it all that well offensive team. Yet they are ranked fourth in offensive rating in the NBA, so they're in a, they're an elite offensive team in spite of not doing the things that you typically associate with an elite offense. Well, and that's for,
1: you know, a few reasons. One of those being Josh Hart shooting 52% from three. One of those being Jalen Brunson shooting 42% from three. And then the other one being Julius Randle shooting 25, scoring 25 a game. Like, that's not a team you want to give extra possessions to, you know, because they have really elite scores. And if they can get the ball in good positions and that's all often happens off of offensive rebounds, that's what kills you versus the Knicks. Um, so that, that's, that's the, the rub there. I don't know, Eli, what's the kind of the key to the bench for the Cavs?
3: I think the key of the bench for the Cavs is you got to see if Osmond's going to start some Cavalanches. And I think that's
1: absolutely, that's the
3: huge key from, from my perspective. Um, because if Osmond's hot, I think you have to ride him, um, as long as he's hot. And then that could single handedly swing a game. So, um, I agree. I think quickly and Levert are very, I think that's probably like pretty even, but. I would definitely give the edge to the Knicks based on kind of the more consistent bench options they have compared to the Cleveland. Um, Cause obviously I think Hart, Josh Hart and Hardenstein and Toppin are definitely more consistent, but I think the ceiling and the X factor ish of Osmond going, Osmond and Wade shooting lights out while providing other things like defense from Wade or a little bit of playmaking from Osmond. And those, you know, transition buckets, easy buckets from Osmond. Um, I think the Cavs bench could steal a game just from, you know, a high variance positive play, but I would definitely still give the Knicks the, the edge just based on their consistency from their core guys off the, off the, in the second unit.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. I think the Cavs are a little more high variance, like you said. And, um, the Knicks beat you up on the boards. You know, the the Knicks use the extra opportunities. Um, so everybody's got a board. And I, I would love to see everybody playing down a position. Like, I would actually limit the amount of time that Garland and uh, Mitchell are on the court together. Like, I would stagger them to the max possible just from a defensive standpoint. And then... The other thing I wanted to ask you guys about, Ricky Rubio, can he give the Cavs anything this series? Because he's been struggling lately.
2: Chris, I got faith in Rubio. It's total, like it's totally based on faith. It's not based on any evidence, you know. But you know, this is a guy who took on Team USA by himself and nearly took a game. So he's been in big games. He can do amazing things, and I'm going to believe in uh, uh, Spanish Jesus, or Jesus, as it were.
3: What what about you, Eli? I'll be honest. I don't think he's going to get a lot of run. Um, It sounds like uh, Chris Fedor obviously is very plugging with the team, and he kind of hinted that Rubio might be not playing a lot, especially if you're giving more minutes to Garland and Mitchell. And Levert, I mean, there is really not a lot of time um, for a backup ball handler, which is ironic because the whole year I was talking about how Rubio should be playing over Levert as the ball handler, but entering the playoffs, I think I'm convinced that Levert gives him the best chance to be successful as that third primary play initiator. So
1: I i I'm I'm with you, and I think Rubio is— I think the Knicks are a really tough matchup for Rubio, given how iso-heavy they are. And he definitely had a hard time staying with the Knicks guards in the last game I watched him play. I'm sorry, and I cut you off, so continue.
3: No, and I was actually about to go on that. I think, for me, I think I'm not worried about... I'm not as worried about the starter matchup. I'm more worried about how the Cavs if the Knicks uh, bench guys get hot, like the starters are going to have to play a lot more to try to keep up with the energy. And that's kind of where I'm a little concerned um, because obviously you talk about the Cavs guys being X factors, but if, you know, quickly, he's shown to be able to pop off here and there and Josh Hart as well. So they're just, they're just a little bit deeper, a higher floor of deepness on the Knicks, I would I would say, than the Cavs, and that's kind of where my concern is in the series, if I have one.
2: Well, yeah. See, the, well, I was going to say the irony about what you're saying is that that would provide a that would provide an opportunity for Rubio and Wade to play specifically, the two two of the best defensive ratings on the team. Uh, if I actually, here yeah, I can arrange it. So Dean Wade has the best—the Cavs have the best defensive rating while Dean Wade is on the court this season among rotation players. Ricky Rubio is second. So there's a role in this series for Dean Wade and Ricky Rubio especially to shut down the offensive firepower that the Knicks have. The question is, can they provide—the question is— can JB work around their offensive deficiencies in order to keep those minutes viable for the Wade and Rubio? So a Rubio matchup
1: that makes sense to me is Rubio, Danny Green, Dean Wade, uh, one of you know Allen or Mobley, and then I don't know. Who do you plug in at the three there? But there's enough shooting and I feel Chetty. like Gant Chetty. Yeah.
2: Or I I mean it, or it actually it would you probably want to go you'd actually wanna go Mitchell or Garland at that Or
1: Karis. Yeah, or Karis. Uh, I wouldn't go Garland there because I think there's oh, you're I a little would. too weak at the point of attack defensively. Um, but what I like is the ability to run pin downs and uh, curl actions with Wade screening for Danny Green. I think that adds a lot of gravity to that side of the floor. And then you can run a pick and roll on the other side of the floor well, with Rubio. and.
2: Let's be real, though. Every, it, it, JB's committing malpractice if... Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell aren't on the court for 48 minutes. Okay, fair
1: playoff game.
2: No, fair. So one of those
1: guys would be on.
2: You're right. I
1: I just think there's it probably be Mitchell who you prefer. Yeah. yeah, there's advantages. You can run an a team that will give you good offense and good defense there. Uh, and I would like to see some Danny Green and Dean Wade because I feel like there's some chemistry there. In in kind of I I. Texted you guys today in the it, it, it could be like a Channing Fry, Kyle Corver light uh obviously Dean Wade is not the shooter that the American Channing Fry is um or the Korean Channing Fry for that matter but uh he, he, he's pretty good so I I feel like there's some kismet there but I might be reaching anyway Um, When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what the Cavs need to do to win and uh, the X-Factors and coaching. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. Nate Smith, Eli Kim, Chris Francis, Cavs, Knicks. Okay, what do the Cavs need to do, Eli, to win the series? And what do they need to keep the Knicks from doing? I mean, obviously score more points, but what what are your two big keys there?
3: For me, I think the big keys are slowing down Brunson and the Knicks bench. Um, I'm actually kind of okay if Randall has like a weird shooting night again um, where he's like hot from three. But I think Brunson's kind of their true core engine along with their bench, especially Grimes or especially quickly, sorry, quickly in heart. So I think the biggest key is, ironically, I think if Okoro's ready to play, I would really like to see him start on Brunson. And I think you shift um, probably Garland on Grimes and just ask him to prevent, you know, open threes, and then Mitchell on uh, RJ with his long arms and just hope that RJ starts chucking. So Sit on his left hand. Yeah. So. I think that's the key for the Cavs um, is to limit Brunson and uh, the bench, and then I guess another, I guess for a second key it'd be, you know, let the um, let the bigs on offense stay involved. I feel like all the attention will be on Mitchell, as you said in a previous segment. I think I agree that they're going to try to stop Mitchell. So I think it's really good that Mobley's been a pretty dang good offensive hub for the last you know, 15 games or so to close out the year. And I think that could really come in handy um, as we get to the playoffs because I think there will be a lot of uh, easy opportunities when Mitchell gets to drive and there's probably some dump-offs and lobs to the bigs. Um, So kind of those are my two keys
1: that I'm looking for. And then if I'm the Cavs, that's how how I'd be game-planning it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think short roll Mobley is a huge advantage for the Cavs as long as he's not on the court with Stevens. They need guys who can hit shots in the corner. Because when the Cavs don't have those floor spacers, Mobley struggles a lot more. He doesn't have as much room inside and he's very hesitant to kick it out to bad shooters. So that's that that was a really good point about Mobley as as the offensive hub anyway. Um Chris, what about you? What do the Cavs need to do and what do they need to stop the Knicks from doing?
2: Uh it's the three-point line. They Cavs need to chuck it and they need to prevent the Knicks from chucking it. It's basically what it comes down to. The the Knicks are top 8 in attempts and the Cavs are bottom 6 in attempts. And there that's I would chalk that up as to the reason why the Cavs are not an elite offense and the Knicks are. So, I mean, it's this is a clash between the Cavs' elite defense versus the Knicks' elite offense. So we've got to, you know, the way they score is they take a lot of threes. And they make a lot of threes. so and, and they
1: get a lot of offensive
2: rebounds. Yep, they get a lot of offensive rebounds and are able to score on a scrambled floor. So uh, rebounding, you know, that's you're absolutely right there. Like rebounding is probably, uh, you know, the second key is we we are a terrible defensive rebounding team. We are one of the worst Defensive round re- rebounding teams in the NBA since Kevin Love has been gone. So, uh, and they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams. So in, in the half court game in the playoffs, when every possession matters and you're coughing up extra possessions because they're bombing away from three and getting the rebound, we're going to lose. That's an easy recipe for a loss. So, uh, I hope they're ready to rebound and i hope they're ready to chuck some threes. <laughs> um yeah, to me
1: manufacturing offense is going to be key. Uh the big thing the Cavs have to do to win the series is defensive rebound like you said. I think you know, two of Wade and Allen and Mobley have to be on the court at all times. Uh i don't see the Cavs being able to win going small any other way. I think the Knicks are just too athletic. I don't think Chetty's a good enough player at the floor. And I think uh, Stevens is just not a good enough player on offense. Uh, I think we will see some Stevens, unfortunately, but uh, I would love to see him, if he does play, play inside more, not be a spacer because I don't think he's very good at that role. And I think the Knicks will be thrilled if he's shooting threes. Um, and then the Cavs, the Cavs have to keep the Knicks from getting hot, like limit Brunson. And I think the biggest thing the Cavs have to do is be physical. Like they're the bigger team on a whole. I think they need to beat the Knicks up a bit. They need to out-tibs the Tibbs team. Like... If Stevens is in there, I him committing I want him committing hardy fouls. Like I want him leaving bruises. And if the Cavs don't do that, I don't think they win. I think they've got to beat up Randall and Brunson in order to win this series. And because Mitchell can take it, but I'm not I sure. I think those... you
2: bring up a good point, but I would disagree that the Cavs are the bigger team. I I think actually the Knicks are that they're kind of a poor matchup for the Cavs because they kinda play big. No, I I okay, then the Cavs I think are a little taller, but I
1: think then the Cavs need to play bigger is kind of what I'm saying. The Cavs need to be the bigger team. Yeah, right. They need to absolutely
2: agree. They need to play big ball. Big boy ball. Yeah, because the Knicks, that's literally what their MO is. They they want to make it a street fight.
1: Yeah, and you know, if uh, if Rolo's on the roster, I want him dusting up with somebody out there. Like, I want somebody from the Cavs to get ejected in in New York. <laughs> you know, beat those guys up. It's so, your time, know. Rolo. Yeah,
2: I don't know. Uh, to
1: me, okay. So what? One of the other things that I think is the X factor. I am very worried about the officiating in this series because. Are the Cavs going to get a fair whistle against the Knicks? I'm very concerned about that. Um, what is your uh, big X factor for this series, Eli? My X factor is the battle of
3: coaching and competency. <laughs> Which coach can be the most average coach and give their team a slight advantage?
1: Young Tibbs versus old Tibbs. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's one way to put it. But um I I'm actually somewhat glad we the Cavs are playing a coach who is very mediocre in the playoffs. Um because obviously you want every advantage to win and I think that's a that's a big one for Cleveland. Um I'm not saying I would take JB over tips. Maybe I would actually, but I think the fact that it's more of an even matchup on that front gives me even more confidence in the matchup. So my X factor is, will we see a different JB? I'm not holding my breath, um, but maybe he could surprise us with some uh, better adjustments in game planning. And to be fair, I think JB is actually best when he has a lot of time. He's just not very good in the moment. He kind of panics and gets really conservative and, goes back to defense first and that's why we see a lot of Lamar Stevens but I, I also think there are hints lately in Chris Fedor's you know, nuggets that the front office is telling him like hey you gotta do this, hey you gotta do this And I think one, one thing that I was telling was when he was asked about Jetty Osmond in the second to last game he was like I have to play him more, I ha- I've been told I gotta play him more I, I can't not play him and seeing that quote made me think, like, you know what? Maybe the front office is kind of like, "Hey, you know, our top, our he's our one of our top net rating guys, and you have to play him because all the numbers, a whole season of data at this point has proven that he's a positive to this team compared to Lamar Stevens." So, I'm hope, hopeful that we see a little bit more time and maybe a collaborative effort from the front office. Um, but that's kind of my X-Factor difference maker that I want to see and hope that the Cavs can capitalize on. Nice.
1: Uh, Chris, X-Factor for the series.
2: Yeah, my first instinct was to go with Evan Mobley because I just think nice. he was built for these moments. This is when he's going to really announce himself to the wider audience that, Hey, I'm a, I'm a stud. I'm, I'm, I'm the next guy. You know what I mean? He, he's the next, he's the next one in line. You know, we have, we have this era of Joel Embiid, uh, Nikola Jokic and uh, Giannis, you know, they're kind of the bigs that are dominating the NBA. You know, I, I think Mobley, Needs to ascend, you know. Mobley has the capability to ascend to that kind of level. He has the ability to ascend to a top five in the NBA, uh, big in the, you know, to that level. And and I actually think Randall's, especially a hobbled Randall, is a really good matchup for him. Yeah, I think you know it's a it's one that he can possibly take advantage of. So, um, if you want to go like low key X factor, I would say. You know, kind of, Eli's kind of mentioned it or danced around it a little bit. I'd go Danny Green. You know, Danny Green, Chetty Osman, you know, were the two names. You know, I just talked about how we need to make threes and we need to prevent threes. You know, Chetty and Danny Green have length and they can make a three. You know, so I think the more you see of them and the less you see of Stevens and Okoro, I think that helps the offense, that changes the offense, that changes the calculus uh, of the offense. Because, you know, any time that Okoro or Stevens are on the floor, they will not be guarded. I promise you that. It's been happening all season long, you know, and too often the Cavs have not been able to make teams pay for doing that the whoever's guarding a or Stevens is camping in the lane, helping to either stop the pick and roll or stop the drive to the basket. So, you know, Danny green, Chetty Osman, this is your time to shine.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to counter, I'm not counter that, but you know, I talked a little bit about the X factor of the officiating. I think like you just touched on Isaac Coro is an X factor. um, the Cavs have been able to make teams pay when they just played Okoro. Okoro has done enough to make teams pay um, in certain games. There's been games where he just doesn't have it, and I think you just got to send him to the bench in those uh, cases or, you know, just live with that. But you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely cannot play Stevens and Okoro at the t- same time. It just kills the Cavs' offense. Um, The other X factor I will say is the vet factor. I think the Cavs have the better vets. I think Danny Green and Ricky Rubio probably give the Cavs a coaching edge if the coaches listen to them because I think, you know, Ricky Rubio, I don't think anybody doubts will be a head coach someday somewhere. Like he is one of the smartest players in the history of the NBA, knows what's going on on the floor at all times, Danny Green, another very sharp guy, probably the odds are good he's going to be either in a front office or a high-level assistant or a head coach someday. Those guys can help the coaching staff, and the coaching staff and the players have to listen to them. So that's my other X-Factors. And uh, with that, we'll be right back, and we'll give you our predictions. Kaza Podcast, Chris Francis, Eli Kim, Nate Smith on the mic here. Rubber hits the road here, guys. Give me your prediction. Eli, who wins the series? How many games? I think I've been dropping the most hints on my pick.
3: I think the Cavs win mainly because their starters are better than the Knicks' starters. In the end, uh, playoffs are about star power, and I think the Cavs have more of the better players up top. And that's why I think they're going to win the series, despite their bench, in my opinion, being clearly inferior to the Knicks' bench. I think the Cavs win in a grueling, Competitive six-game series, and where I think they win. Hopefully, they win. I think they're actually going to split the first two, just because they're a young team. But I think they'll. Uh, so it'll be very nervous. Don't get me wrong, but I think they prevail. And you see Donovan Mitchell being him, um, like we have for most of this year. So that is my prediction: six games for the
2: Cavs. Chris. It's tough. I'm gonna take Cavs in seven. I think home court is going to make a difference in this series. I think the Knicks are probably this series. I think the Knicks was Knicks are the strongest possible opponent that they could have faced. So I'm gonna pay my even more than
1: Boston and Philly
2: or Milwaukee. Well, I mean, in, in terms of uh, no, I mean, in terms of the lower seeds, any any of the seeds oh, okay. lower than them that they could have faced in this in this first round. Um, uh,
1: well, it makes sense of the fifth seed,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, there, I think it, you know, if you go it, to me, it's you know, people were worried about the heat possibly, or you know, uh, I don't know, if, or um, it was mainly the heat, really uh with the coaching and, and the and Jimmy Butler or whatever, but to me uh the Knicks are in a class above, well above the garbage heat. So, you know, I think they're they, this is gonna be tough and I think it's gonna go seven. So
1: nice. I actually agree with you. I think this comes down to home court. I'm gonna give it to the Cavs in seven. I think one of the other X factors is the cash crowd, I think, will come. They will show up. Uh, Cleveland's going to represent, and that's going to be a big deal. And I think it's going to mean a lot to the players. Uh, and, I, and I think, like you said, it's going to be a coming-out party for Evan Mobley. So, uh, yeah, so that that's pretty much the series. Um, and I think uh, next we're going to kind of go through and talk about the other first round playoff matches because we've got, you know, uh, uh, the play in tournament before uh, the playoffs start this weekend. Um, you know, we got some fun games uh, and let's just go through them. Uh, seven, eight, I think, is the one we're all looking forward to. Uh, Lakers, Minnesota out west. Um I'm picking the Lakers because Minnesota is a mess right now with uh Gobert being suspended and you know punching his teammate and they that that team's just a kind of a joke right now. And the Lakers to me with this much time to prepare and rest, I don't think LeBron will be denied. Nor do I think the NBA will lo- deny LeBron. Uh Eli Chris, who you got in that one?
3: Man, I'm going to go contrarian. I think the Timberwolves actually win this game. I think what? because everything is against them, and Gobert is suspended now. I feel like they're going to sneak away and get this one. I do think the—I mean, spoiler, I think the Lakers still make the playoffs. But Oh, I you think like,
1: they'll lose that game and then make the eight seed? Yeah, that's my
3: theory. Um, but I don't know, man. Something about the— Timberwolves and like they're suspending Gobert and it's not even like a question. Like they they didn't like, you know, save that punishment for later, like all hands on deck. They really might think that they gal they were galvanized after their Gobert left at halftime in the last game. So I don't know. I think the one thing that makes me worry about me now that I see that is that McDaniels is gonna be out. And I think he's a great player, so...
1: What, the guy punched a wall, like, oh. <laughs> Who was the NFL player that headbutted the wall and screwed up his neck? You remember that? Uh, For the Redskins yeah. at the time. Anyway, I'll look that up. But, okay. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going contrarian on this one. Chris, it's Lakers, right?
2: Yeah, it's Lakers. Yeah. The Lakers have been... Their net rating since the their net rating since the trade deadline has been top six in the NBA. They're a completely different team than they were.
1: I'm telling you, the Lakers can make the finals, and I called it when the trade happened. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not backing down. Back and, down. I, I, now I am also the saying, one that thought I, the Nets weren't going to fade, and they clearly faded. But yeah.
2: Well, the, the the kudos to you because I, when I looked up their net rating, they're ranked six since the All Star break. So they've been balling. They're they're a completely different team since the. Oh won. yeah, and they got rid of the
1: cancer, and all the guys that were playing too many minutes are now role players, and it's just perfect. Do you see they signed TT? Yes. <laughs> uh, so they even got like. All the guys that could have been gone after their ladies, they got him on that's why they got him on lockdown. Was just so TT wouldn't like get with any of the players' girlfriends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was like it's just a move for vibes. Like, okay, TT, you can't you can't go after any of the Lakers girls. So
2: there
1: you go. <laughs> uh, I'm such a pig. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got out West uh, New Orleans and – oh, who's the other team? Sorry, I had it up. Thunder. The Thunder. I mean, it's New Orleans. The Thunder don't even want to win this game, right? I don't know. I mean, I think they'll try. I I don't think they'll try. I think they'll find some way to lose. <laughs> Eli, what do you, who you got? I got
3: the Pelicans, and I think it's because of rebounding and big man play. Did you guys know that Josh Getty leads the Thunder in rebounding and no one's even close to him?
1: Yeah, and they That's got literally got rid of their best big in Muscala.
3: Yeah, so That's I think Valentino's is going to be... He's, uh, he's going to eat. He's going to eat. And, uh, I mean, I, I mean... Shay, is Zion Shay, playing? No, he's not. He's out?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think Ingram and McCollum are good enough to get this win, Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. and And... You know, Larry Nance, Northeast Ohio representing. Okay, Um, so who does Minnesota? uh, Obviously, Chris thinks Minnesota comes out. Um, Minnesota or New Orleans? uh, Do you think OKC wins, Chris? Sorry, I skipped you there. No, I mean, yeah, I think think they'll try, but I I don't think they'll win. So out of New Orleans or the Lakers or Minnesota, uh, who comes out? Pels. Pels? Eli? Yeah. I got the Lakers and Timberwolves coming out. Okay. Okay. I like it. Um, okay, out east, Toronto and Chicago. That is that is a turd sandwich of a matchup. Uh, <laughs> I, God, I hate both those teams. Mm-hmm. I, Chicago just seems completely lost to me. I don't understand what they're doing as an organization. Um, Toronto though, bad vibes to me. I ah, who who you got? And I'm and I guess I you're taking the bulls. I guess I went uh nine ten versus seven eight first, but that's all right. I I think that's the sexier matchup to me. So you're taking the bulls. What about you, Eli? I think I'm going to take the Raptors uh, just because of home field. Just because I think they're actually. They have so much talent. It's like, I don't know how. Yeah, they're the more talented team, but they've really
2: not really played well. They've underachieved. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, got a, they really got a 1.5 point differential and a 500 record. So. Yeah, yeah I, I
1: feel like they're a team. They're almost the team with, like, the answer to the question is, why couldn't you have too many small forwards? And this is why. Like, it's a team of small forwards, and they're not good because everybody wants the ball. It, that's what it feels like to me. I also think Scotty Barnes is cancer. Which I know Chris agrees with. That's right. Um, Miami and Atlanta. I, I'm going Miami here just because I lo mainly just because I loathe Atlanta and don't want to see them. And also, I'm rooting for Kevin Love. Uh, but that's me. What about you guys? I'm going Hawks.
2: You're going Hawks? Ho- uh, okay. Why? I think that uh Heat are literally one of the worst teams in the NBA. They're a lottery team that is that's parading around as a playing <laughs> team. <laughs> I think they have two
1: good players and that's it, and I think that's the problem. I, I only I would only give them credit for one. What what, you don't think Bam and Jimmy Bam Jimmy? stinks.
2: Most overrated player in the NBA. Bar none. Bam. <laughs> scam 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 Adamai. bam. Scam out of bio. There you go. Okay. Scam fraud of bio.
1: There you go. Eli, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go
3: with the Heat. I hate the Hawks, and I think it's funny that today there's a report that the front office has a green light to trade Trey Young. <laughs> so I think that's the that's just like a, you know, like a toxic sandwich all wrapped in
1: one. So interesting. Yeah, and and the funny thing is I don't know who wants them. I guess maybe the K that he feels like the Kings could fit but or the Clippers I mean. Um but yeah, that's just a mess. Okay. Uh who so who you got? You got Miami and Toronto coming out, Eli? Yep. I have Miami and Toronto.
2: What what about you, uh, Chris? I'm gonna take uh so it's the Hawks that are in and then it's gonna be Heat Bulls. Well, no, actually, I'll take the Bulls.
1: Okay, so you're going Bulls Hawks. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Miami Hawks. I think the Hawks will beat the Bulls or the Raptors, and then get decimated by uh, Milwaukee. Love so, it. So, I, I think Milwaukee in five. <laughs> I think Milwaukee is far and away the best team in this playoffs. And I think they've been built for the playoffs, and they very much – they coasted their way to 58 wins. Um, So that that's my pick there. Uh, let's go through these other first-round matchups. Obviously, we already got Cavs and Knicks, I pick Milwaukee. You guys all picking Milwaukee? Yep. Totally. No upsets there. Philly, Brooklyn. I think we're all picking Philly, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Boston – Boston's chalk too, right? Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, the West to me is a lot more interesting. Um, Obviously, Memphis and whoever, either the Lakers or the T-Wolves, I'm going to pick the Lakers to beat Memphis. I think Memphis is a mess. I think the NBA doesn't want any part of them in the next round, and the Lakers are going to get all the advantages from the refs. what about you guys?
2: Yeah, I like I like the Lakers over the Grizzlies. Like, as a massive upset. Yep, I agree. Eli?
3: I have the Timberwolves here, but I
2: think the Grizzlies would take care of
3: the
1: Timberwolves. Oh, I'm with you there. I don't think there's any way that the yeah. T-Wolves could beat the Grizz. Um, and I'm going to say the most interesting for last. Uh, so, Denver versus the 8-seed. Um I think if it's the Lakers, that's interesting.
2: I'd be inclined to take the Lakers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would too. And that would be rough for Denver. I think Denver – but Denver is a very solidly constructed team. It's just they're not very deep. Um, and I feel like yeah, the Lakers – they have no bench, at Yeah, much. at all, no. And I feel like the Lakers are deeper. Um but I also feel like home field means a lot for Denver because of the altitude. So I don't know. I I would probably, I definitely think they beat the Pelicans or the Thunder or the T Wolves. But if the Lakers end up eight, I'm picking the Lakers. What about you, Eli? You? No, I am actually picking the Lakers
3: too. Over the I actually, over I, the Nuggets. I, yeah, I feel I feel really bad for Jokic because I feel like he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, I'm with like you. He's, he's like, I think he's still my MVP right now. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of people have soured on him for no reason. For winning two MVPs, I feel yeah. like that's a terrible reason to poop on him.
1: Well, I think his team is not as good as it could yeah. be. And I think the Bones Highland mess, I think, uh, you know, they need more. I think they mismanaged you know they just don't have enough depth and that's that's hurting them right now um Phoenix LA Clippers is a really interesting matchup
2: what do you think chris i like i i my heart says Fe, my heart says phoenix but i'm scared of the clippers i think the clippers um they they're uh probably like the four or five matchups are definitely the hardest to call. Like, it's it's crazy how evenly matched they are. I'm going to go with the Suns, but I'm very scared about the Clippers taking that one.
1: <laughs> what about you, Eli? Is yeah,
2: everybody healthy for the
1: Clippers? Sorry. No, no Paul, Paul George. Paul is out. Yeah. Okay. So, because
3: of that, I'm going to go uh, Suns. I feel like... I saw some stat where I think Durant hasn't lost yet with the Suns, is that correct? That's correct. So, I don't know. I think it's hard for me to go against Durant
1: and uh Booker. So,
2: well, Kawhi am uh, looking.
3: Suns. Kawhi looks healthy though.
1: That's that's what gives me pause. Yeah, the problem is, is who
3: else they got. True. I just can't see Russell Westbrook beating Durant here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't see really? Durant think, letting Russell Westbrook beat him. I, I think Russell is motivated by spite really easily. Yeah, uh, and he has been many times and it's never worked for him. So why would it work now? I don't, he's made a finals. Because of Durant. <laughs> sure. He's also fucked up getting to finals too. Anyway. I'm I'm picking Phoenix. He's been playing well for them, so. I mean, I'm picking Phoenix because I think they have by far the best player. So um and then and the DeAndre, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um and then the last one, my favorite matchup of the first round. God, I feel bad for the Kings here. Getting Golden State, who's absolutely been sandbagging all year, uh in the most meaningless regular season in NBA history. A regular season that could see the seven and or eight seed defeat their higher seed in the East because the Lakers are kind of a mess. I think Golden State is so much, when healthy, and supposedly they're going to have Wiggins back, so much better than Sacramento. And I feel bad for the Kings. Also, Steve Kerr is a much better coach than Mike Brown. What do you guys think? Sac, Golden State.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm taking Golden State because this is the first time that Sac Town has played meaningful basketball in two decades. Yeah. So,
1: and oh, the other brutal thing is the literally Golden State might have every game might be a home game, like half that crowd's going to be rooting for Golden State in Sacramento.
3: <laughs> Eli, yeah,
1: I agree. I think the Warriors win.
3: I'm really sad though because I hope. I I really do hope that the Kings win Game One and they light the beam, because how epic would that be <laughs> for having playoff basketball
1: back in Sacramento? I hope so too. I I'm rooting so. for Sacramento. Sacramento's my uh, yep. my tilting at windmills. Like I I know it's probably not going to happen, but I I would love to see it. So, uh, and that's that's it. I think. Uh, do you guys want to do postseason awards? I know uh, Chris, you voted today. Uh, well, yeah. give me give me your finals prediction. I I won't take you through every series, but give me your finals prediction. You like
3: My finals prediction is the Bucks against the Warriors. And I'm going to go Bucks in 6.
1: Interesting.
2: Uh Chris, I'm going to go Boston Suns finals. Wow, you got the
1: Suns coming all the way through, huh? Yep. Didn't yeah. you pick the Lakers or the Clippers? No, you picked Phoenix. Never mind. Yeah, I picked Phoenix. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I got. Yep. And uh, and I'll take the Suns winning. Oh wow! And I'm gonna. I'm gonna take
1: Boston, or I'm gonna take Milwaukee over the Lakers. Um, Milwaukee wins. I think they're far and away the best team in this playoffs, and I think. Um, this is the kind of the path that it becomes kind of the pass the torch moment for LeBron to, uh, Giannis. So there you go. Um, post awards. Who's your uh, coach of the year, Eli? Oh, I think this is easy. It's Mike Brown. Yeah, I'm with you. I th- I think Mr. Potato Head did a great job this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's some s- smell-the-fart coaching. <laughs>
3: My close second is the OKC coach, Mark Dagnall.
1: No, he's done a great job. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think anybody had him winning forty games, especially after what's his name got hurt. Chet. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris?
2: Yeah, Mike Brown. Yeah. Um, Easy call. And that tip to the Boston coach, probably. Y-
1: yeah, I, 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 I can't even remember his name. Everybody his Zula. name. Yeah, his name is not uh whoever the guy that got fired was. <laughs> um but yeah, I uh tip of the hat to the Boston coach. Actually I think there's been a lot of great coaching jobs this year. Um I think Ty Lue's done a hell of a job with an yeah, almost yeah, impossible situation in LA. Yeah. Um and then some really dumb trades at the trade deadline. <laughs>
2: We're or Nabokov's Bolstro really deserves a uh, shout out too. I mean, oh, god I have a coach that
1: the uh
3: that is a dark horse that I like. Who's that? Doc Rivers. Uh-huh. Ooh. I don't does think vice? he'll win, but He's not going to win, but I think he does deserve some consideration for keeping Harden and being very motivated this year. And yeah, fair It seemed like they were going to falter, maybe slip out of three. They not only they like dominated <laughs> to end the year. So
1: okay, well there you go. Okay, um,
3: defensive player of the year, Eli. Call me a homer, but I'm going Evan Mobley.
1: <laughs>
3: and the more I dig into it, I just can't. There's, I'm getting flamed in the mentions right now for saying this, but, um, I think. I think it's really hard to give it to JJJ if he wouldn't even qualify for the award next year. And he's played in less than half the minutes that the team has played basketball. Like, I just can't... I don't know how you can qualify for that award if you're playing like 45% of your team's minutes. Um, so, I'm with you. I would... If it's Brooke Lopez, I'd be... Okay with that, but my argument for Brooke Lopez is he doesn't defend the perimeter at all. Basically, yeah. So, <laughs> if
1: and his brother is Hallday, Captain Hook. He's Captain Block, Captain Drop
3: coverage. Yeah, and he has two people who I would say are better defenders on his team, and Drew Holiday and uh,
1: Giannis. Giannis. So
3: yeah. Look, I think JJJ is his block percentage is incredible. Like. And he gets a lot of stocks, although he gets some home cooking, which that Reddit throw was hilarious, looking back but I just don't know how if he can't win the war, he literally would not be eligible to win the war next year how are how's everyone going to vote for him this year, knowing that change is coming you know so yeah, and he's only played he only averages twenty eight minutes a game in, in in addition to only playing in sixty three games this year, so yeah, I just think that it has to be Mobley. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're homers, right? We would, we want Mobley to win it, but I just think there's more and more evidence that Mobley has a stronger case and I hope he does win, but it doesn't feel like he will
1: based on everyone's commentary and whatnot. Uh What about you, Chris? Who's your DPM or DPOY? Oh, Evan Mobley. Easy call. Not even a question. I'm going to go a little out of the box here. I'm going to go with the culture. Alex Caruso. Leading the NBA in defensive uh, estimated plus minus, 3% steal rate, 3% block rate, which is insane for a guy that plays shooting guard. Um, I think he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Uh, Doesn't get enough credit. um, And I don't think uh, Mobley has the all season or honestly all game resume to get the award. I think he coasts a lot till the fourth quarter sometimes, and I just don't think he's there yet. It's just
2: heinous calculator ratting from (laughs) me.
1: Hey, Hey, I could have gone Draymond Green, but I couldn't do it. I almost did it, but I was like, "No, I can't do it." It's it's (laughs) it 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 just hurts too much. But I actually think Dre has had a fantastic year defensively as well. So Uh, yeah, so the the quant nerd. Uh, picked Alex pick the culture um okay uh most improved Lori Markman oh nice I like it
3: Eli man I think it probably has to go Lori I don't know who else you could pick honestly Mike could go Bridges possibly Bridges would be a good pick um I think a lot of people want to pick Shy, but I don't know how you can do that.
1: I thought he was great last year, too. So No, he's such a foul merchant, too. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm actually going to go where you went on Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going to go Evan Mobley. I actually think Evan Mobley's – the fact that people are talking about him in his second year as a Defensive Player of the Year candidate is evidence to his improvement, and that's why I'm going to go Evan Mobley, Most Improved. Um, and then I think, what is the only one left? Oh, six man. We got six man. Who's six man? Well, MVP too. Well, yeah, you finished with the MVP though.
2: Oh, okay. I got gotcha.
1: you. Who, who's your six man, You like?
3: I think it has to be quickly. Although I kind of don't like it because he started... Um, a lot. I mean, he started 21 games, but to be fair, that's less than Lamar Stevens. So <laughs> uh, I guess I'm okay with quickly winning. Zim,
2: oh man! Shot in, got a rib shot right in there.
3: <laughs> no, but okay. I think I, I'm okay with quickly, but I think Brogdon's a close second for me. I don't. It's kind of a toss-up between us, two, but I'll give it to quickly.
1: Okay,
2: uh, who you got, Chris? Man, I, I like the Brogdon pick. Honestly, I'll go Brogdon because I mean more team. Uh, the to me, the tiebreaker is more team success. So, yeah, I'll go Brogdon.
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm looking at these candidates and they're so ridiculous. Like people have Christian Wood. <laughs> How do you even have a
2: guy from the worst uh, kind of? Oh yeah, no Luca uh, for all NBA is such garbage. I'm gonna yeah. say that right now. Yeah, absolute garbage. That Lucas ever being considered for any of y'all NBA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A total joke. Um,
1: hold on. I got to I got to think about this for a minute. You know what? I'm actually I don't think Caruso starts, does he? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going to go Alex Caruso. Yeah. I mean, I he's already if it, if you don't start in your defensive player of the year, you got to win six man. <laughs> you may you may never talk to me again after this podcast. Yeah, what
2: the, what the heck is this? Like uh, Alex, <laughs> yeah, he only, Alex Caruso show. He only yeah, 36. 36
3: mm-hmm. So only nine more or eleven more games than Lamar Stevens.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. Alex Caruso. <laughs> the culture. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, MVP Eli Jokic. I'm gonna go Jokic and.
3: One reason I'm going to go Jokic, and I'm not saying, um, you know, games played is that important, but I really feel like Jokic is getting the raw end of the deal this year. And I know he doesn't score as much as Embiid, but he literally does everything for the Nuggets, and they're the one seed. So, well, to be fair, they would not be the one seed in the East. That is true, but Embiid also has a former MVP on his team. So I feel like it helps you a lot. So uh, fair. I I just for me I think it's I think it's Jokic this year. I think it's kind of a shame that the media got bullied into everyone jumping on the Embiid bandwagon like late in this season. But um, I also think, quite frankly, I think Giannis is more deserving than Embiid than Jokic uh,
1: or than Embiid. No, yeah, than Embiid. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I corrected myself,
3: but yeah. Um, so I would go Jokic, and then second would be Giannis for me.
1: Nice. What about you, Chris?
2: Jokic stinks, especially on defense. It's a joke <laughs> that he's—it was a joke that he got two MVPs. I'm gonna go Giannis, best player, best team. That's the way it should be.
1: <laughs> um, I, it's not a bad pick. Uh, I hate all these. I don't know who to pick. Like, I'm going to go Alex. Car- no, I'm just my
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> The culture. It's all about the vibes. Uh, I kind of have to go with Jokic, even though I hate myself for it. Um, but I just nah, – no, I'm going to go Giannis. Giannis is the best player. Giannis, done. It's Giannis. He's the best player on the best team. I – just that, that, there
2: we go. Throw it back, old school. I'll, I'm proud of you.
1: Well, he's the best player on the best team. I think he's the best player in the NBA. I think he's the most dominant player in the NBA, and I think he's going to prove it in the playoffs. So Jokic is a great regular season player, and unfortunately, he just doesn't have the team around him for it to be evidence of how good he is. So
2: I there mean, we go. I Feel like you got to play both sides of the court. Yeah, and and my runner up. My runner-up is Tatum
1: because
2: oh, I was just going to say that Nate because he played right. he only took eight games off. Absolutely, wait. How many games did Gian, he, how many games did Giannis play? Uh
1: sixty-three. He had that injury. Remember? Remember Nate, the Cavs played him when he was hurt. I actually, got to
2: change my vote. Then I'm going oh, Tatum. You're I'm going, going Tatum. Going Tatum. You just you just said like you know. I, I I wanted to go old school, and you actually you you, my, you, you you went. I went even older school. Huh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I I love that shit. So I'm going Tatum, and <laughs> shout out to Nate. Okay, That's a brilliant point. <laughs> hey, any change of your vote there, Eli? <laughs> no,
3: I'm
1: sticking with Jokic. Okay, and then last one, uh, GM of the year. Which we didn't do earlier, but I feel like the Cavs have a shot at it this year. Eli, who gets GM of the year? I think it has to be the Jazz, whoever that guy is. Uh, Justin, Dan- Danny something. Ainge.
3: Well, I think it's technically. Oh yeah, the Justin, it's Kobe's whatever. friend.
1: Yeah. Um, exact. I think they call it executive of the year. Yeah, I think no. you're right. Okay, so you're giving but- it to the
3: Jazz. Yeah, I think he made two really good trades, Um, and I'm not saying the Cavs made a bad deal for doing that, but I think the fact that... Eli
1: is all about asset acquisition.
3: I am. So (laughs) the fact that they got what they got for Rudy Gobert, just unlocked.
1: You can take the real estate accountant out of the office, but you can't take... Uh, there's something there. I don't know, but yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but they they sold at the right time on the bear, and then they still made a good deal on the Donovan Mitchell trade.
1: That's a yeah. superior arbitrage. Yeah.
3: So they, I think it has to go to the Utah Jazz guy. My close second is obviously Kobe Altman.
2: Okay. What about you, Chris? Is it Kobe time? No, I'm afraid not. I'm going to have to go much to the chagrin of evil genius, President Stevens. Interesting. Because, I mean, the Imei Adoka thing blew up in their face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How does that make, but he's the guy that hired
2: him. Well, he recovered, he landed on his feet with Joe Mazula, obviously, (laughs) and then picking up uh, Brogdon. Yeah. Well, I I think
1: that's a good argument, but I'm going to go with uh, Kobe Kobe Altman because anytime you can get a player of Mitchell's talent, uh, it, it's it's a pretty yeah. impressive feat.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like,
1: especially uh, he, when he you look
2: all his sins by that uh, move. Huh? Yeah, like,
1: especially when you look at like the way he built that war chest, like moving Larry Nance and getting Laurie Markin in and obviously then like he kept upgrading. It's like the Dwight in the office where he turns a penny into the best thing at the swap meet. <laughs> so that that's what it felt like to me. So I'm I'm gonna give it to my boy Kobe. And and okay, we are super long in the tooth. Anything to pitch before we sign off, Chris?
2: No, no. Just go Kaz. Let's go. I Eli you got anything to pitch no not
1: tonight well i am going to pitch coffee smith's coffee in rolla missouri oh um, that was a good one that uh i i hooked my boys up chris and eli and tom Pestack with a pound of my brother's coffee that i helped roast uh we did 60 pounds in his coffee roaster and it's delicious um I love it. And so uh if you're ever in Rolla, Missouri, stop at Coffee Smiths. Uh it is as good of a good of a cup of coffee as you can get in the United States. So and and he's had people from overseas tell him that. So nice. um yeah, Coffee Smith's Coffee, Rolla, Missouri. And uh yeah, just for you guys' edification, I was uh last ten days I've been on a road trip across the Great Plains. Drove 36 hours and 10 days, uh, visiting family from Wichita to Oklahoma City to Kansas City to Rolla, Missouri, and uh, then ended up in Northeast Ohio for Easter. And then, oh, and the other thing I will pitch is my boy, Dan Phil. He is the front man for a bluegrass band called Great River Revival. Do a lot of old standards, some originals, and then they do some bluegrass covers of some 90s grunge songs that are fantastic. So, check out Great River Revival uh, on, I think, Bandcamp, and, but I know Facebook. So, yeah, Coffee Smiths, Rollin, Missouri, Great River Revival. And when do the Cavs play, Chris? Saturday or Friday? Saturday. Saturday night. Cavs. Should be a blast. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're